This week on Dig Me Out. People sang about dolphins in the 90s. The uh, Dolphins Cry by Live. <laughs> Hootie and the Blowfish. The, it's I, one of those the dolphins make I'm, me cry. I'm like, if this is this might be an incredible metaphor, but I just can't get past that you're singing about a dolphin. Tim and Jay Review. Hello by Poe. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi. And joining me for episode 257 of season five, Dig Me Out, it's Jason Ziak. Jay. <laughs> yeah. I think we need a new intro. Yeah, don't worry. For 2016, it all changes. Okay, good. The world is going to be shifting, Jay. It's going to be like the tectonic plates in the movie 2012 upending the polar uh, whatever is going on in the movie. Anyways. Jay, we are at, this is the second to last review of this year, mm-hmm. and it's an album that I picked, an artist named Poe. Jay, are you familiar with an artist named Poe? Oh, yeah, I remember several of these songs from the, the radio. Okay. And do you remember that the artist named Poe put out a second record and then just kind of disappeared at the end of the 2000s? Was never heard from again? Yeah, she was one of many from that era. Well, there's an interesting story to go along with that. We're going to talk talk about it in the history of the band. History of the band. Or in this case, the history of the artist. So Poe was actually born Anne Decatur Danaluski, I think is how you pronounce the last name. Interesting upbringing, lived in six different countries before she turned eight years old. Her dad was a film director. And they would move to film locations, and she lived in Africa, India, Spain, Switzerland, England, and the United States before she turned eight. Wow. And then when she was 12, her father moved the family to Provo, Utah. Um, sometime, that pretty much covers it all, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's it. Somewhere between the age of 12 and 16, I'm not sure exactly when, um, her parents divorced and her mom moved to New York City. She stayed in Utah for a little while. And then when she was 16, um, she left her home in Utah and went looking for her mom in New York City, who she had lost contact with, apparently, and started living in squats um, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan trying to find her. Ooh. So she began uh, playing music, uh, experimenting with samplers and sequencers, and then, uh, interesting enough, became an early collaborator with a, a gentleman named uh, Jay Dilla, also goes by the name JD, and he was in a, a hip-hop group called Slum Village out of Detroit. Hmm. Um, if you know anything about uh, Jay Dilla, has a very interesting musical background was a guy who uh, was one of those like crate diggers, you know, go through a million vinyl records, finding interesting samples. It sort of built a, a career on um, building uh, beats for bigger artists like Tribe Called Quest and Farside in the, in the 90s and then worked with um, uh, the Stone's Throw record label in the 2000s um, and died very young of a disease that I am not familiar with, but um, by all accounts was a very 
cool and interesting guy who did a lot of interesting work with a lot of different artists and Poe was one of them. So ended up that Poe got signed to a label called Modern, which was affiliated with Atlantic Records in 1984 based on the demos that she made with Jay Dilla and another um, gentleman named R.J. Rice uh, in Detroit. The first album was released in October 1995. That's Hello, that's what we are revisiting. So a year, about it, not even a year, we're talking about four months later, the New York Times Arts and Leisure section names Alanis Morissette and Poe as the defining voices of the current movement in music. You know, I guess that ties back to our, when we did that roundtable earlier this year on women in the 90s. 95 was a huge year we saw the release of the last Morissette record and that's also the release of the poe record mm. so poe began touring in january of 96 opening for lenny kravitz between 1996 and 1998 she did 600 shows there's a lot of shows wow okay um the single trigger happy jack broke into the top 20 on Billboard's Alternative and Modern Charts. It was produced... That song was produced by Dave Jordan, who you would know from producing such artists as Alice in Chains and Jane's Addiction. And it features Matt Sorum of Guns N' Roses and The Cult on drums. Hmm. Her second album, Haunted, was released in October of 2000 for to positive reviews and sales thanks to the single Hey Pretty. This is where it gets really weird. And this is where it's not one of those instances where the artist disappeared because they weren't doing well. That mm-hmm. you know, This is an interesting story. So I mentioned that she was signed to the record label Modern, and Modern was affiliated with Atlantic. In uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, Atlantic and AOL were talking about a merger, and it was finally approved by the FCC in January of 2001. A few months before that, Post contract with Atlantic was renewed for three months for three albums because of the success of Haunted. So Haunted came out. They were they were happy with the sales, happy with the chart placement of the single, and said we're going to sign you to an extended contract for three more records. However, because of the merger, there were some cost cutting, and one of those mergers, one of those things that got cut in the merger was the ties to the modern record label that she was signed to so modern actually owned the rights to that three album deal so even though haunted was still on the charts and the single was still out there and they were ready to go to a second single the label had essentially lost their distribution and had was now stuck with an artist that they couldn't basically afford to promote anymore so they sold her rights of her of her entire um, record deal to an oil executive named Robert Edsel. He bought her her masters and he bought the rights to the next three albums. Okay. So she couldn't do anything, essentially, because this guy wasn't going to put out any records. He had a, I think the contract was like, you know, over a certain number of years she had to deliver the albums. And they ended up going to court. She was like, this is bullshit. Uh, we're going to court. And it took 10 years for this court case to finally become settled and for her to be released from the contract. So she essentially could not make any new music and could not profit off the sale of the old music. 
because of this guy who bought her masters and was making money off the sale of Haunted and Hello. And in 2011, she was actually able to start making music again. Really bizarre story. Hey, Jay, you sound much better now. (laughs) Yeah, I thought I would put away the the lo-fi telephone effect for the rest of the review. How cool. That's so 90s. It is very 90s. Start the I'm, song and the, with the lo-fi and then and then I'm going to do uh, the whole episode with a megaphone. Yeah. In tribute to uh, Scott Wyland. Yeah. So, wait a minute. Had this? Why did this guy buy these masters and had he ever been in the music business before? Like, wh- what's going on? No idea. He just like, I don't know, some kind of creepy stalker trying to like troll her or something? I don't it's it's a I don't know I don't have the whole, I don't have that end of the story why he actually did it. I assume he was maybe he was like a guy who's trying to get into the music business and thought by ba- buying a catalog essentially of an artist you know that yeah. was getting him in but it's a, it's a very weird story indeed. Yeah. So we got some fe- uh feedback on this record um over at digmeoutpodcast.com anarchy999 Said Trigger Happy Jack is the goddamn jam. <laughs> there you go. Review over. He said, figured I'd leave some comment, leave a comment since you were such a fan of my story about Atari Teenage Riot. I've been posting here for a long time, though under different names. I left a lot of feedback on the failure related episodes under a name I forgot. So Anarchy 999 is, is all a over Facebook the place. comment? No, it's a uh, discus. On, oh, over see, at the uh, Dig Me Out podcast. I see. Okay. And then uh, Matt Wardlaw on Twitter said, what a great album. And Matt actually supplied us, Jay. I don't know if you saw the email. Yeah, I did. He, he sent us an email and he gave us an alternate mix of uh, Hello. Mm-hmm. We'll get to. We'll talk about that. Because there were actually a lot of alternate mixes and, and, and remixes and stuff going along with this record. Too much to to keep track of but his is an interesting one um so let's get into the actual album hello and hello. Uh, and talk about what we liked and what we didn't like about this record jay Since I picked it, that means I'm going to throw it to you and mm. tell me one thing that you liked about this record. Uh, at times, it's very unexpected. From song to song, you don't quite know where it's going to go. Um, so it makes it a um, a fun listen from that standpoint. Runs a spectrum from 
fairly heavy rock at times in terms of, you know, at least being dark and having mm -hmm. distorted guitars to like loungy jazz sounds. So, and pretty much everything in between, you know, just the, I think the roller coaster ride of it is, is entertaining. Um, at first there's certainly, I think shades of the, of, of this record that work better than others, but, um, mm -hmm. at least for a first listen or two, it's, it's interesting to hear all the different, I mean, even production styles, it kind of moves all over the place. Um, it, it covers a lot of ground from, yeah. from start to finish. Yeah. It's by no means a perfect record. Um, it has flaws here and there, and it has some odd moments that make you scratch your head. But the I think the thing that really ties it all together is is Poe and or Anne, however you want to re reference her, but her, uh, her voice, the com and the command of over her voice, um, where she can kind of do this softer spoken vocal, and it feels very intimate when she's doing it like she's just whispering it in your ear and then she can sing and belt it out when she needs to um she's just got she's i i like where her voice sits in terms of it's not too loud and it doesn't get buried it's a good mix and she can cover a lot of ground with it and you know this is really it's all about her voice to begin with you know all the stuff that surrounds her voice is the layers to the songs that make them interesting. But if she doesn't have the voice to carry all the songs, they're just going to fall apart. Yeah. So I think that, that to me is like the, the key to everything is the fact that she is an interesting singer. She's an interesting vocalist. She has interesting phrasings and cadences, and she's got lyrics that are provoking, you know, uh, the, the listener and, and playing with the listener's expectations. And, uh, I think that it serves her well. Yeah, I think the um, let's get to the, the let's put those two comments together. I think uh, I don't disagree with you, um, but sometimes the production of the record gets in the way of her vocal, which is kind mm -hmm. of frustrating because say something like that day, which is really stripped down uh, for the most part, you know, her and a cello right. for a lot of that song with some guitar coming in and you, you can really, you get pulled in a lot by the vocal or even right. the live version of hello, which is thick sounding that, that, uh, Matt's on us. Right. It's more of a band approach, but, uh, her, her vo voice shines on those songs more so than some others where the production becomes so busy and I don't know, distracting even to the point where, you know, they'll, some moments where they artificially like, you know, treat her voice, like make it small, do things like that, which were, you know, right. Gimmicky in the nineties. And it's in hindsight kind of frustrating because it's, you know, you, you've got a talented performer and songwriter that's dabbling in some fairly interesting places. And I don't know, I think on more than half of this record, it feels like the production is just, she's lost in it sometimes, you know, it just takes over and it's so about the loops and the samples and the, that aspect that you sort of forget that it's about her. I, I, I get what you're saying. I think there are some songs like the opening song, hello, where they strike a good balance of, you know, doing loops and having a, a I don't know if it's a keyboard bass or mm -hmm. what have you, but 
there's there are little things that go on production wise throughout the song, yeah. but it never really overpowers what she's doing, and and that one works well. Whereas I can see a song like "Choking the Cherry" mm-hmm. being a an issue because that's where they're shrinking her voice. Mm-hmm. You know, they're taking out. I'm, I'm guessing they're doing some sort of um, EQ on her voice that's taking the like the bass out or, or adding some sort of little bit of distortion to get the telephone effect. And and that's one where, you know, that song, it's, it's kind of interesting. It almost starts to get in like a shudder to think kind of, I mean, it's the, the musicianship isn't the same, but just in terms of the, like how quirky it is and whatnot. I think the um, a song like Another World is a good example of where the production gets so busy and so overshadows her to the point where, you know, she's got some vocal, like, run she does in there. And it almost sounds like it gets so, like, jazzy and sample-heavy and stuff. It's almost there's moments where you're like, am I listening to, like, Manhattan Transfer? Like, what the hell is this? It, it reminds me a lot of <laughs> Luscious Jackson Jackson's... Uh, yeah. Fever and fever out, actually. Yeah, and there's there's a lot there's a lot of moments like that where I think with we've heard this in other reviews we've done where uh, at its worst the album starts to sound too much like other people, you know, mm-hmm. like oh okay this is the Luscious Jackson song or like Fingertips I'm like oh this is her Sade song, and you know you sort of can go through some of the some of the songs that either production wise or just writing aren't quite there. And, and you, you know, dolphin uh, it was a song. I was like, Oh, this sounds like a, a Suzanne Vega, like deep track album track or something. You know, there's just like all these other comparisons I start going to on, on that material. I actually like choking the cherry. Um, I like that day. I like the final track fly away. Really? Um, I yeah, thought that was a little too earnest. Yeah, I mean, lyrically, it's not great, but I just, again, it, it allowed me to just listen to her voice in a, in a piano for a lot of it, and that drew me in more so than some of the other stuff. You know, there's some good hooks on here. You know, that she had, um, I remember several of these songs. I remember Trigger, Trigger Happy Jack. I remember Angry, Angry Johnny. Johnny. Yeah, great hook in that song with yeah. her, with the way that she pauses and manipulates the the vocal yeah and you can tell in that one the vocal is a lot i felt like that song sounded a lot more polished especially vocally like she really got the melody figured out and honed um and felt i don't know it's just you can tell and some of the other ones it's you know a little bit more tentative or sketchy sounding Whereas in in, in the in, in a song like that, it's like okay, this is really put together well. I think though some of the rest of the record could have benefited from a bit of that. I can do a 
I like that um, song. Short, you know. It's like, under three what minutes. song you you cut out for a second? What, what song? That day, I just like that. Uh, it's I, I, I honestly I could like I would go for a whole record that sounded like that song. It is a very cool sounding song. Very different. The cello and the guitar together are very striking. Yeah, and then when it goes to the um, chorus. I don't know. It's like guitar and cello together or distorted cello or something. I can't figure out what it is, but yeah, it just sounds very dark and gloomy. It's odd. You know, it's just a, it's just a cool mix of, of sounds. It's, it's when I heard, listened to that song, I really felt like, boy, she did a whole record like in this format. That would be pretty cool. And it's short and the structure is interesting too. And that, you know, kind of starts off sparse, and then once you get to that chorus, they kind of keep that that intensity up through the rest of the song, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. And you know, that, again, that's one of those moments where it's kind of it was unexpected too. It's like right in the middle of the record, and just hearing the cello out of nowhere in terms of that roller coaster ride, you're like, "Whoa, where did this come from?" <laughs> right. We should talk about uh, Trigger Happy Jack just a little bit because it is one of the few songs. It, it might be the only song, but it's one of the few songs that has a live drum on it. And it has a more, I guess like traditional, you know, quiet verse, And then this loud chorus with guitars and louder drums fits more of the nineties, you know, format in that way Mm. with that structure, guitar solo in the bridge. I'd be curious to hear what she, I I, didn't know. I never saw her or actually I did see her live. What happened was she was at buzzard fest and there was a rainstorm the day before, so everybody started throwing mud at the stages on the side stages, and like that was where the refreshments couldn't play because after one song they were covered in mud. And I think she was supposed to play, and I don't think she did because of that. But I would like—I would be curious what she sounded like live because I was—I was hoping it would sound more like Trigger Happy Jack, which has more of that live, looser feel. Yeah, and that sounds like that alternate version of Hello that. Matt gave us. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's a band, which, yeah, I would expect that she would interpret a lot of this stuff that way live. My favorite part of that song is the, uh, I guess, the second half of the chorus, not the trigger happy jack part, which is just sort of that descending riff singing over. But when she switches it to the trigger happy jack is going to, it sounds like it takes like a Beatles twist out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> like, that was cool. Yeah, it has like double times the vocal. Yeah, and it just it kind of just goes on this little run and a, a chord change there or something and it's it's a nice twist to 
the chorus, it's okay. I think I like the verses of the song better. By the time we get to the chorus, it's a little like, you know, I don't know. It gets a little boring. But when they do that little twist, it really saves it and kind of brings it back around again. And again, I don't know, I prefer this sound. <laughs> to me, when I hear this, this sounds a little more timeless to me, too. As, you know, with some of the sample stuff, it, it just sounds so 90s. I mean, it's tough to, it's tough to evaluate that stuff because it's so, I don't know, maybe that stuff will come back around again. But <laughs> those styles of drum loops and stuff, it's just such an imprint of, of 90s music that it's difficult to fully appreciate it, I think. Right. Yeah. Drum loops don't always age well. <laughs> yeah. And the style of samples, like the saxophones and just, I don't know. Just well, that's the Dilla things. stuff because Dilla yeah. was known for really digging into like a lot of obscure samples and you can hear it on some of the Tribe Called Quest stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it works very well in that format. Um, but yeah, there's some spots here where you're like, oh, that, that keyboard scratch or that, you know, not keyboard scratch, but that, uh, turntable scratch sounds a little weird now. So let's talk about our overall ratings on this record. Jay, were the album better EP or decent single? Where are you at? I'm at an EP. I could take, I mean, I like the singles. It was a little hard on the singles too, in that. Man, I felt like I heard them so much. Anytime you go back and you, on some of these records where they, you know, the rest of the record was a little bit obscure, but the man, the singles just got, I felt like got played so much. It's hard to evaluate them sometimes because you heard them so much, but I think they're good songs um, for sure. I think they're well-crafted. So you take the singles, you take Choking the Cherry, you take That Day, you take Fly Away, Hello. So I'm at, I'm at a solid EP there. I'm leaning more towards an album. Uh, just because I, I really feel like the only there's only two songs that I don't particularly care for, and that's "Beautiful Girl" and "Fly Away." You like dolphin? It doesn't bother me. Eesh. Okay. <laughs> She's singing about a dolphin. Sure. That was <laughs> people sang about dolphins in the '90s. The uh. dolphins cry by Live. Uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. It's one of those dolphins make me cry. Like if this is this might be an incredible metaphor, but I just can't get past that you're singing about a dolphin in any way. No, she actually wants to be a dolphin, Jay. Wouldn't you want to be a dolphin? It seems so much so happy. No, you get caught in one of those. uh, Well, if you get things, one of those tuna nets by the (laughs) Japanese fishermen, then yeah, that kind of sucks. But there's a lot of assholes out there. There are dolphins. That's either here nor there. Uh, I'm going to rate it as an album. Jay, you're rating it as an EP. We disagree. That's fine. We're we're fairly close on our evaluation. We need to thank Matt for sending that uh, 
that bonus song. And there's a lot of remixes of the songs. I remember the radio station, we had probably like two or three singles that had alternate remixed versions of the different singles that we got. So there's a lot of singles to track down for this record with uh, alternate versions of the songs. So there you go. You can, you can get on your Discogs account and start snatching those up. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. We have one more review left for the year, and then it's our year-end wrap-up. I don't know if there's anything really to talk about this year, Jay. Do we have anything to discuss about this year? Pretty boring year. Yeah. Didn't do a whole lot. Just twiddle our thumbs. A couple roundtables or something, and yeah. maybe talk an interview you. here or there. That's about it. So... uh We'll be posting it up on our Facebook page and our in a, in a Twitter and, and our website. But if you uh, want to chime in with your favorite interview that we did this year, your favorite uh, roundtable discussion, your favorite uh, album that we reviewed, let us know, and uh, we'll have some. We had we sent out a survey, I think, for that to some people. Or, uh, that was our general survey that we posted on the website. So we'll we'll post those results, and then. Um, uh, if you if we think we got something wrong on our album reviews, you're like, hey, idiots, that was a crappy album that you liked, or vice versa. Jeez, you don't have to call us idiots. I mean, hey, dum dums. <laughs> there you go. Let us know. Let us know if we've betrayed your trust. And uh, that's it. We're JM Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. I prefer knuckleheads. Not even God takes this long to get back. So get back. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.